Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbing Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. So this week we have with us another incredible guest. We have with us Aaron, who is the co-founder and chief operating officer of MindStep, a complete digital brain therapeutic. Interestingly enough, he co-founded this while a medical student and then went into it full-time after graduating. To date, they've raised over £2.8 million from venture capital and have screened over 80,000 brains. So it has been an incredible journey so far. You know, Aaron, a massive pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you, buddy? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. So you've screened 80,000 brains and a lot of our listeners probably thinking, what on earth does that mean? But before we get into all of that, we're going to take your story all the way back to the beginning. You know, a young Aaron who's decided to embark on this journey to study medicine. Tell us about that, those moments in your life. Yeah, well, so I, I just finished medical school last July. So mm. this is my first year out of, out of training. Um, gosh, five years really flew by. So I, I actually knew I wanted to, to be a doctor and study medicine, I think from the age of like 15 or 16. Um, mm. And that was always my passion. Um, some of my family members are doctors as well, and that probably influenced my decision. But, you know, I always knew I loved the sciences. I always knew I loved anatomy and physiology. Um, and I really mm. wanted to make a difference to people's lives. Uh, I mean, it is a very cliche thing to say, and every doctor says <laughs> that on their application. But, you know, I really wanted to walk away at the end of the day and have that sense of satisfaction, um, feel like the work I was doing was making a difference to people's lives. And that was why I applied to medicine. Um, and I ended up studying at Birmingham. So I did five years. I never intercalated. Um, mm-hmm. But after I studied medicine, as, as you said, um, I decided to jump into med tech full time. And the reason I did that rather than going through training um, was a very difficult decision for me. It was not one I made lightly. And it was one I actually needed a lot of support from other people on. Because um, I think, you know, for, when when you've been thinking about a pathway since you are 14, 15 years old, mm. you are very stuck to that pathway, kind of, you know, that sunk cost fallacy where I was thinking, well, you know, I've invested at this point nearly eight, nine years into becoming a doctor, doing clinical practice, and, and to leave that, to jump into med tech, into a startup, which is completely new, which comes with a lot of risk, was something that I struggled with. Um, but ultimately, I think, I wanted to do med tech because I could see the scale of change I could make um, as compared to working clinical practice. Um, So you mentioned, you know, you brought up the number 80,000 and that is a number that still boggles my mind um, to imagine that 80,000 people have used the app in just three months who have gone through the process, you know, used what we've built to help them improve their brain health. But it also means that there are at least 80,000 people who are worried about their brain health and who can't mm. get care elsewhere. Um, mm. and I think when you walk away at the end of the day, it makes you realize like there is a significant potential to make a difference in people's lives. And we are doing that on a day-to-day basis. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of why I chose to study medicine and why I get satisfaction in what I do today. No, incredible. Amazing. And did you discover med tech why that university or what you're thinking about it did you have an interest in tech because we're always interested to see at what phase of the journey do people start to yeah. become intrigued by it yeah so i mean the the, the honest answer is no um and that's why i also struggle because i i never knew this was a career pathway for me 
Um, it never even crossed my mind. I think when you go into medicine, the, the, the one pathway that everyone talks about, you know, is foundation training, then, you know, core training, like that is the only pathway you are given. That is the only pathway medical school teaches you, consultants teach you, that is all you know. And it makes you think that is the only thing you can do. And so when we founded MindStep, that was literally my first experience with medtech. That was my first okay. opening into this other world. Um, and the more you look at it, I think, the more you realize how many opportunities are out there, not just in medtech, mm -hmm. like what you guys are doing. Um, there's so many opportunities for medics that you don't realize until you start looking. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I'd always been interested in, like, innovation and technologies, you know, like the mm -hmm. Da Vinci machines. Like, I always thought that was really, really cool. But actually knowing what that meant, like, actually knowing what you could do was not something I knew about until we founded Mindset. Um, and it, like, even when we founded Mindset, it was not, in my brain, I wasn't thinking about this as a whole field. It, I was just mm -hmm. thinking this is a single innovation. Uh, this is a single thing. And as we built Mindset, as we raised funds and connected with other people in the space, that's when I kind of began to realize how much more there is um, outside of clinical practice. No, definitely. Tell us a bit more about the, the, the founding story of Mindset, yeah. kind of the, the origins. Obviously, yeah. if you go on the website now, it's, it looks amazing. It looks incredible. You've got big numbers. Tell us yeah. the, the, the early days, the, the first few days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look back at the first iterations of the things we've built, I think we still amaze ourselves. So MindStep was inspired by Snapchat. Um, and this is a story that my co-founder Hamza has told quite a few times. And it's one that I mean, we still find um, fascinating and, and a bit funny, really. Um, so I'm if you, if you think about, you know, for example, your cranial nerve exam, when you're looking at the cranial nerves, three through six, and you're trying to assess eye movement and look for nystagmus, that is something that is difficult as a medical student, to say the least. You know, you just kind of moving your finger around, hoping you see something. Um, and it, I mean, it really takes a trained clinician to be able to do that properly and to understand, you know, what horizontal nystagmus means versus vertical and, and all that fun stuff. Um, but then you, we, well, basically Hamza was looking at Snapchat and he realized Snapchat has facial tracking technology for something as simple as a dog filter. Um, you know, you, you open your mouth, your tongue sticks out, you wink and something happens, right? This is, that is facial tracking technology, which is available for use in something as simple as a filter, yet somehow not built into clinical practice. So inspired by that, I think that was the first iteration of Mindset where we basically wanted to take existing technology and apply it to help clinicians do their job better, to do their job more mm. accurately. Um, and so that was kind of where Mindset was inspired. And obviously we've come a very, very long way from there where eye tracking, eye tracking is really a very small part of what we do now. But I think it, when you look back at the steps we took, they it was small steps over time to grow into this massive product that we have today. Could you walk us through some of those first few steps? How does someone build a company, start yeah. off, take an idea to market? Um, a lot of our listeners would be keen to know, okay, I've got an idea. How do I, how do I build something now around it? Yeah, absolutely. So we had an idea. 
And we started doing some research into it. And I think that was the very first step for us. Was this even something that was feasible? And so, I mean, obviously it's great to look at Snapchat and be like, oh, we can take that technology. But actually, you know, being able to take that technology is a different story. Um, so we started doing research to see whether or not it was actually feasible. And then we started talking to clinicians and, and people, the, basically the end market, people who we thought would be using the technology. And we realized that A, you know, there was a market for this and people needed it. And B, it was actually feasible. So the mm -hmm. first thing we did was speak to who we like, you know, our end users, the people we thought would need it. Um, after that, we then started trying to build out what we wanted the app to be and what we wanted it to do to deliver value for, for our users. Um, and that was where the app started expanding a little bit, where it started from eye tracking technology. And then we thought, well, actually, if we throw in um, the symbols, digit modalities test as well, you know, that means our outputs are that much more accurate. We can look at, you know, three more values. We can look at three more um, outputs. And then we kind of thought, well, in order to like put that data into context, we also really need to ask about demographics. And so slowly over time, when we started to build up the app, we started to understand, you know, in order to contextualize the, the data we get from this test, we need to understand A, B, C, and D. So kind of like when you are talking through a consultation with any patient, you know, you need certain information to be able to contextualize the tests you're going to do on them. Um, and, and so, I mean, this was all still pre-market research. We hadn't actually built anything. We were just trying to assess yeah. what we actually wanted to build. Um, and what we started slowly bringing people on to the company. Uh, and at that point, I think it's important to clarify that we didn't have funding at the moment. So everyone that was working on the app was doing it, you know, out of their own interest, out of their own passion. Um, and we gave them equity in exchange. So we said, hey, you know, if you work with us, you know, you are helping us reinvent neurological care, brain care, and we'll give you some equity to do that. And so everyone who was working on the app was incredibly passionate, was incredibly motivated, um, and they did it for equity. And then it came time to actually build the app. And I think that is where... I think a lot of med tech, that is the first yeah. major hurdle for med tech, because I think for clinicians and medics, like it's really easy or not easy, but it is feasible for you to do your own research, to conceptualize what you want to build. But we also, most of us don't have experience in engineering and computer science and like actually mm -hmm. building a product. Um, and that is when we really needed external help. And so we, we found an engineering firm, um, and we gave them equity to help us build the app as well. Um, and that was kind of how we got started. And from there, it snowballed. We built a minimally viable product, and then we went to investors. Um, actually, even before we built a product, we went to investors. And we said, hey, you know, this is what we want to build. This is our vision. This is what we believe it can do. And that was on the basis from which we raised our first funding round. Um, and then from there, you know, you raise money, you can afford to hire people, bring on employees. You can... And then your pace, your, the, the, the work that you do just grows exponentially. Um, yeah. And then we went to raise again, and uh, now we're back in that same process. But I mean, I, I think from the very beginning, it was all about finding the people that were passionate and building what you wanted to do um, yeah. and bringing them on. So it, it isn't an impossible journey. A lot of, I, I know quite a few other companies that have done it, and they've bootstrapped themselves until they could get to the point of raising funds. Now, that's incredible. 
and I'm glad you, you covered the, the barriers that medics tend to face. It's more on the engineering technical side of things as to kind of the idea, the marketing, the conceptualizing. Just before we move on, the other thing that you touched on, and I think it is another barrier for medics, is kind of the fundraising. How do you kind yeah. of secure your first round? Um, kind of shed a bit more light on that. Yeah, so our first round was primarily led by angels. Um, and if you're not familiar with like what angels are, um, angels are basically like individuals who invest on their own. They invest their own money into companies as compared to something like a venture capital fund, which is a massive or not massive, but it is a company that has, you know, significant assets behind it and they invest as a, as a company. So our first round, as I mentioned, was primarily angel investors. And that was from finding people in the space. So finding uh, people who had an interest in what we were building um, and wanted to potentially invest. So a lot of that came from, you know, just networking and mm-hmm. meeting pe- like clinicians really who said, oh, actually, I know someone who might be interested um, and connecting us to that person. So, um, it, I mean, I'm not going to lie, uh, fundraising, especially your very first one and all of them really is incredibly difficult because you're trying to convince someone that what you are building is worth it, right? Like, you are basically putting your idea to the test to see whether or not people actually want it, people believe in your vision. Um, and finding that first investor was it is really the biggest hurdle because once you find one person, they introduce you to others and you can go to networking events. Mm-hmm. But, you know, angel investors are not the only way to do it. Um, so we, when we first started, we actually went through a venture catalyst or, yeah, venture catalyst competition at Imperial and they provided tons of, opportunities, tons of networks, uh, connections, and you can do it that way as well. So there are um, some really great resources out there. One that we've actually just recently gone through is the um, the NHS Clinical Entrepreneurs Program. Um, mm-hmm. And that one, you know, is specifically aimed at people who work within the NHS in the healthcare field who have an idea and want to bring about change. And they offer tons of really great resources, connections. They basically teach you how to build a company. Um, teaching you all the lessons that, you know, we at Mindset learned along the way to help you get started. Because as we've mentioned, like as medics, we see, or really just healthcare professionals in general, we see the pain points and we know what we need to do to fix it. It's just about, you know, actually building a product that sometimes you need some more support with. Looking at your product now, right? So you've gone through, you, you've screened 80,000 brains, but let's take it back all the way, right? Was there ever moments where the yeah. feedback you got was this wouldn't work or this idea is crazy or no, we, we, we just don't want to invest into this. Um, what were some of the early learning oh. points that you took away from feedback? Yeah. Uh, I mean, w- w- we get feedback along that line every single day. Uh, I mean, we're fundraising at the moment. Um, like you approach tons and tons of funds hoping, you know, they'll invest. Um, and more often than not, the answer is no. Uh, they see, you know, they don't believe in your vision or they, they see some hurdles that they aren't incredibly confident that you can overcome. But also, it only takes one. Like, it only takes that one person to say yes. And then from there, the momentum builds. But when we were first starting out, I think the one of the biggest pieces of feedback we got was making sure that whatever we built was actually usable and accessible to the mm. people who needed it. Um, mm. And I think that is a principle that's carried through with us 
very heavily. So making sure what we build is accessible. Um, I think as you can build the most incredibly scientific product that you know, can diagnose a disease 100% of the time, right? Let, let's just say, um, you can build an incredible product, but also if you don't build it properly, you don't make sure that it's usable, no one's going to use it. Um, mm. No one's going to actually take advantage of it. And so what, what we did is we did tons of user research to make sure, and really just showing what we wanted to build to the people that we thought were gonna use it. Because if mm. the people you want to build it for don't wanna use it, they're not gonna use it no matter how good it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, making it accessible by design, really focusing on how we designed it, how we thought about the end user would use it was one of the biggest um, pieces of feedback we got. Um, and we were really going out to the wards and showing people, hey, this is our product. Mm -hmm. What do you like about it? And what do you don't? Um, and, and, you know, you play, playing with family members, with friends, just saying, hey, can you try it out? And can you actually figure it out on your own without me guiding you? Because um, yeah. you can't really sit over every single person mm -hmm. and say, you know, you do A, B, C, D. Like, that's, it's not a feasible solution. Um, so design, design was, like, making accessible by design was one of our biggest pieces of learning. Um, but also, I think another piece of learning for us was ensuring that, like, ensuring that what you built was actually scientifically rigorous and valid um, and collecting all the data that you wanted to. Um, I think for the NHS specifically, like it's really hard to get products into the NHS without a lot of medical backing and scientific backing and research and publications. And we really wanted to make sure that we had that evidence behind us, that we were presenting ourselves and really using a data first approach. Um, so everything we built was also fully based on the medical literature as well. No, definitely. You described MindStep as a complete brain digital therapeutic. And some people may have recently seen how NICE is now recommending digital therapeutics for certain mental health conditions. What is yeah. a digital therapeutic um, and why has it become so popular all of a sudden as to kind of a, a general therapeutic type thing? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, like a digital therapeutic and like, really basic terms is basically like a, a solution that does that rely, I think nice defines it on their website, but it's basically a solution that you yeah. can use from your mobile phone, your device, your, your computer, yeah. something that doesn't necessarily require tons of human interaction. Um, I mean, nice defines it much better than I can um, off the top of my head, but, and you've mentioned correctly that nice is really pushing for that. And they have tons of new programs that they've just published. So like mm. the med tech funding mandate, the early value assessment programs, they are really pushing for that and really opening up opportunities for people to get into the NHS and into these healthcare systems very quickly. And I think because they recognize that there is significant value in this. Um, so I think for mindset specifically, for example, we don't need a human clinician or a human healthcare professional to be sitting over the patient every single step of the way, hmm. which is how we are able to screen, you know, 80,000 people so quickly. Um, if you imagine sitting, I mean, yourself sitting in clinic, how long it would take you to screen 80,000 people. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it's just mind boggling. Um, yeah. So med tech and digital therapeutics, they have such potential to scale. Um, they're in, which means they're incredibly cost efficient as well. And they can really support what 
healthcare professionals are doing in person. Um, so, you know, something as easy as triaging people, routinely screening people, taking some of these more routine and mundane burdens off of healthcare professionals so that they can focus on the complex cases. Um, because there is always going to be a limit to digital therapeutics. Like sometimes you really do need that human to step in and say, actually, this person's a bit more complex. We should take a closer look mm -hmm. at them. We should involve, you know, the MDT, for example. Um, and a digital therapeutic is, isn't really going to be able to do that for you, but it can do a lot and take a lot of the burden off. Um, I think that's why there's a big shift towards that. And especially with technology, how it is today, there is, mm. there is a lot of room for us to improve how things are done at the moment. No, definitely. On the flip side of the table, and I'm sure you probably know, there have been multiple articles recently also published saying that there is a surge of digital therapeutic companies that may not necessarily be giving genuine value to patients. It's right. just kind of loosely threaded together. What we want to kind of know is has Mindstep had any sort of validation? Has it done mm -hmm. any sort of research and trials? Um, yeah. And can you, know, can you say that you actually are helping patients genuinely? And, and it's not some, some sort of gimmick. Because um, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff going around on the internet, as you can imagine. Yeah, so that's the, uh, that's the big question and what we need to prove to our investors every day. Um, but yeah, so, so as I mentioned, we very much pride ourselves on being data-driven, yeah. being scientifically and medically valid and accurate. Um, and so, you know, in the last half year, I think we've published 10 thing or 10 different publications, peer review wow. publications. Uh, we actually finished a clinical trial um, back in the Q3, Q4 of last year. And we did that on, I think, 100 or 150 patients, uh, five sites across the nation. Uh, really, it was basically assessing whether or not MindStep actually worked, whether or not we could actually screen someone's Amazing. cognitive health. Yeah, thank you. So we, we did that clinical trial because we wanted to prove that what we were building actually worked. Um, exactly. I mean, you can't go out and, and claim that we work if we don't actually know if it works. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, A, our what we value as a company. So wanting to do right by people, to bring value to their lives, to really improve their health. And we wanted to make sure we could actually do that. But also, you know, for the purposes of, regulation so you know working our way towards nice and nhs you know certifying ourselves as a medical device in the uk all these take evidence and the backing that you need to be able to make those claims and so that is also why we did these clinical trials um and actually you know going back to another point about like barriers for medics like the law and regulations there is a ton out there um, and it, it can be really difficult to understand especially i think about patient privacy, that is a big one for medics and, and any med tech solution, because you deal with sensitive information and we know how important it is, you know, in person in clinical practice. And so that risk only increases when you're working with electronic data that can be hacked and, and can be leaked mm -hmm. and, and all that. So, you know, privacy, but also medical regulations. So with NICE, with the MHRA, uh, with UKCA regulations, it's also a lot to get your head around. Um, and, and there aren't tons of resources out there, unfortunately, about making it a easy process for people. Yeah. Mm. Aaron, so going through a lot of the, the tasks that you just listed, right? You got the legal aspect, speaking to users, design, yeah. building. There's so many factors that go into a product, right? 
talk to us about your your team, the mindset yeah. team, right? And how important it is to yeah. have and recruit a team that is functional but also complementary and just just go getters essentially. Tell us a little yeah. bit about your team. I, I think the team is the most important thing you have. Um, it is mm. what I mean. Your company is your team. Your product is your team, um, and it's so incredibly important. So obviously, like when we founded Mindstep back in medical school. Um, Hamza and I, we're, we're both medics. So like, we don't have experience in coding and regulatory approval and all that. Um, and so what we did was when we first started bringing people in, when we started building MindStep, as you mentioned, it was all about finding people who complemented us, who had unique skills that we didn't necessarily have. Um, so for example, the engineers, you know, they knew everything about coding and building an app. Um, and we knew everything about the science behind it. Um, and so every new person we hired, and especially as a startup, you know, funds are limited, you have limited time, limited resources. It's all about finding those individuals who have unique skill sets, um, and bringing them on, but also like, you know, within the founding team, the, the very first few people they bring in, it's not always just about the skill sets that someone has. It can also be about their personality and how they work. Um, so for example, um, Hamza, he, he is a visionary, like he is incredible at looking at the big picture, um, looking at the users, um, understanding what they want and how we get there. Um, he's very much out of the box thinker. And I am a bit more of a detailed oriented person. I love looking at the nitty gritty. I love understanding how do we get from point A to point B and what are all the steps to get there? Um, and even, so even though we're both medics, we have completely different ways of thinking. And that also really helped in how we built the app and also helped form what we, we um, took over as our responsibilities at the company. Um, so for example, like, at the moment, like I look over our finances, all the legal and regulatory approvals. This is not something I had any experience with. Like this is not something they teach you at uni. They don't teach you how to do taxes, unfortunately. They don't teach you how to work with the MHRA um, or even run a clinical trial. Um, and yes, while you know we got advice from our advisors and the people around us, it is also like jumping into medtech is also a massive learning curve and it's a really a, a brilliant journey for like self self-improvement and, and expanding your knowledge base because as a founder as someone who's building a new product you know or product or any company really you have to learn so much about other areas yeah. you never knew about um so, you know, that, that goes to the fact about like founders and finding the right fit, but really for the team in general, like every person we've hired has been an incredible value add. They all bring something unique to the table, um, but also they are passionate about what we're building. They are, you know, excited about the impact we can have, about the social change we can bring. Um, and so it's all about finding those unique people. Um, I mean, and, and I'm not saying it's easy. Um, I'm not saying you're going to find those people right away. <laughs> but, you know, I think especially when you're in an early stage startup, the people that you bring on are the most important thing that you can think about. If you um, could describe, if you could describe MindSteps culture, how would it be? The culture yeah. amongst the team? Yeah. <laughs> that, I, I mean, that is a... Great question. And that is actually something we're working on at the moment, like trying to define mm. our culture and our values and what we stand for. 
Um, Cause I think it's so incredibly important to when, when you want to build sustainably, when you want to build a company to really define that and make it something that you believe in. Um, and so much of a culture and so much of your values are founder driven, are driven by the people who create a company. Um, so at the moment, like I think we, one of our values, for example, is proud to be nerdy, um, which means, you know, in our culture and in our practices, we love data. We love making our decisions based on the data and the science. We, every decision we can, we, we try to justify it with what's already out there with the medical research. Mm -hmm. But that being said, we also don't let a lack of data hold us back. Because I think when you're building something new, there may not be a lot out there. So you have to know, yeah. to, you have to make informed decisions, make informed risks. Um, but yeah, so, so part of our culture is about really being really scientifically medically driven, but we also really value transparency and honesty. We are very collaborative. And part of that reflects, I think, into the way that the healthcare systems culture is. Um, it is very hierarchical, um, and I think for very good reason, because it ensures patient safety. But it also means that sometimes people at the bottom don't feel comfortable speaking up and sharing their ideas. Um, yeah. But everyone brings something unique. Everyone approaches a problem from a different perspective. Um, I think it's really important to let everyone's voice be heard. And so we very much value, you know, that op open communication, you know, valuing each other's perspectives and our thoughts and our inputs. Um, but also knowing that I think we very much try to take the time to realize that people are human, right? Like you're not going to show up every day at a hundred percent. You come to the company, you have uh, like work is not the only thing in your life. Um, you have other things in your life that are going to affect you. So we try to remember that as well. Well, um, as part of our culture. No, incredible. The, the question I had from a business perspective is there's a surge of a lot of, you know, kind of digital therapeutic companies in mental health, kind of maybe doing something similar to Mindstep. What are you doing to kind of cut through the noise? What's unique about Mindstep? Um, you know, a bit, you know, an insight in that would be quite interesting, actually. <laughs> That's the, uh, the question we get from investors all the time. Okay. Um, <laughs> Because you're right, I think there is a, there are a lot of solutions out there um, within the mental health space because there is such a big opportunity for it. You know, the market mm. is open. There isn't much else out there at the moment. Um, mm. So what we do, I think the way we try to set ourselves apart comes back to how we try to work. So, for example, being uh, incredibly data driven. So making sure that what we put out there, the screening that we do, the care that we give people, the, dis the, um, the results that we show people are based on the best of science. So they're as medically accurate as we can make them. Um, so we really try to differentiate ourselves by, you know, the validity of what we're doing, the medical and scientific backing. Um, I think we also really differentiate ourselves again by how user-friendly we make it, how mm. interactive it is, how accessible it is for everyone. And I think especially, you know, within the mental health and the brain care space, you have to realize that when people are struggling, they're not going to be able to interact with things the same way that someone else would do. Um, mm. you know, someone with dementia is going to really, really struggle to use their mobile phone to, you know, to, to interact with a complex app 
And so some of the other solutions that we've seen out there, they're brilliant and they have an incredible level of scientific validation. But for someone with dementia, they're going to really struggle to use it. And so I think we really set ourselves apart with our design and how much we think about the accessibility for our users. Um, and I mean, beyond design, that also reflects into how you speak to users, how you phrase things. Um, you know, in, in medical training, you go through tons of lessons and tons of practice about how you, you know, for example, give bad news. Uh, there are certain things you should say in certain ways that you shouldn't say things. Um, you know, even in medicine, if, if we're going to tell someone, actually, your brain health is not that great, you need to be mm. really careful about how you do it. Um, mm. Especially because I think the danger with digital therapeutics is there isn't a clinician to safety net someone if something goes wrong. Uh, if you tell someone that their brain health is 50 years older than it should be, you have to remember that it's going to make an impact to them. You remember that there is a human on the other side of the app on the other side of the product um, and you don't know their circumstances you don't know what's happening with them so being really conscious about what you're building what you're putting out there is also really important especially because if you're sitting behind a desk all day you know it's easy to forget again that there's a person on the other side as compared to you know if you're standing on the ward next to a person yeah no and yeah. I and the thing you mentioned, which didn't really occur to me as well, and, and it seems super obvious, is when someone is going through something or they have dementia, the way they interact with an app is very different to someone like ourselves or someone you know yeah. within different age brackets. The The question when, when you said all of that stuff that, that hit me as well, and it's, it's, it's an odd one, is what has the response been from your own family when you kind of embark on this journey? And, you know, we're all kind of ethnic minorities here, medicine is seen as a very stable noble career uh yeah. what were your you know your parents thoughts you know you've you've studied medicine and then all of a sudden you've gone off to build this tech product yeah i i think um i'm sure they're gonna listen to this so i should be careful what i say <laughs> yeah. um so i i think you know there is that sense um you know that clinical practice and medicine is the safe route, I think, because you, you've gone through that training for so long and you have a job at the end of it. Like, you know, there is going to be a foundation place for you. There is going to be, a, a, there's a set training pathway for you. And I think jumping into med tech, I think was a bit difficult for um, some of my family to get, get their head around because it is a leap. Like you are jumping into a company that, could cease to exist in another year, um, could cease to exist in another six months. Um, and trying to go back into clinical practice afterwards, I think in their view would be very difficult. Um, so I think there was a bit of hesitancy when I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go do med tech for a while. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to jump into a startup that needs to raise funds to, to survive. But I think, I think ultimately it's like a decision you need to make for yourself. Uh, and then I think for me, um, and some of the factors that I weighed up when I was truly, you know, thinking about what I wanted to do was a, you know, I touched on the impact I can have and yeah. the impact, you know, the self-satisfaction I get, but also I think some of the other advice I heard was that, you know, the medical training pathway isn't going anywhere. It is going to be there. No, like, you know, 
no matter what happens with the company. And so, you know, if mindset takes off, or I should say when mindset takes off um, and, it, and it grows to be a billion dollar company, if, if for example, I said, I want to go back into clinical practice, I can do that. Um, there is always that option, but building a digital therapeutic and, and really taking advantage of, you know, the time and the opportunity, you know, that window is not always going to be there. If you wait another yeah. th two or three years, someone else is going to have had the idea you had and build something. Mm. Um, and I think for me, it was about jumping into that when I could, taking that opportunity to, to bring about change. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, um, then I go back into clinical practice. Uh, and I think for me, like that is my decision-making, but ultimately, you know, it is a personal journey for everyone. Um, and it is about the decisions you want to make and the, your own individual factors. But, you know, from a family perspective, as you asked, I think there was a bit of convincing to do. The question we kind of tend to ask founders that have kind of been, you know, able to fundraise from VCs, leading a team is, how do you manage it all? You know, how do you get your downtime? How do you yeah. look after your own health and well-being? Because it's so easy as a founder to, to to get you know caught up in it all, stay super focused, and then eventually burn out. How do you look after yourself, Aaron? Yes, I think that's a brilliant question, and especially as a mental health company, something we need to think very very much about. And I will admit, like when we found in Mindstep. Uh, I was still at medical school. I was trying to do both at the same time, you know, trying to keep up with my studies, you know, the stress of passing exams, but also trying to build a company. And I think that's, it was really, really difficult. Um, and I think, you know, it probably helped that I was very young when we first started MindStep um, and I was very resilient at that time. So, you know, I just kept plugging away. I, I was kind of in that mindset of working. Mm. I you know, knew what needed to be done. Um, and, and, you know, in the first three years while I was doing both, I think for me, it was the biggest problem for me was time management and really time allocation. Do I spend time studying or do I spend time working on the company? And it, there's always that trade-off because you can't do both. Um, at the moment though, I think as a founder, you are right. Like there is always more to do. There is always more you could be doing, you should be doing, and it's never mm -hmm. going to end. And I think just mm -hmm. realizing that you like realizing that it doesn't stop. Right. And that means that you need to carve your own time. You need to set some boundaries for yourself. Um, because you are playing the long game. Um, companies don't go from zero to unicorn. In, in a year yeah. like it, it does take time and you need to recognize that you need to take care of yourself so that you can get there um but also learning that if you don't take care of yourself you can't help others so if we burned out like if i burned out i would not be able to make the change and, and bring about change to the eighty thousand users we already have if i'd given up a few years ago um so for example the things i do um you know i try to protect my weekends. I try to protect uh, my, my evenings and, and, mm. you know, getting good night's sleep. Oh, like there is always going to be bleed over. Sometimes I do end up often, I should actually say, I do end yeah. up working in the evenings and the weekends. Um, but also that kind of comes back to making sure that you enjoy what you're doing and that you find value mm. and passion and 
what you're building. Um, so like knowing, I mean, having that sense of satisfaction, knowing that mindset is making a difference is also what mm. helps me keep going and helps me stay motivated and avoid burnout. Um, but also, you know, I think connecting with other people within the space. So connecting with other founders, with other med tech companies, having that system to like bounce ideas off of, to meet up with, to share experiences and complain together mm-hmm. is much more valuable than I think I realized um, yeah. when I started. It's, it is not a solo journey. Like there are other people out there and even like, you know, speaking to your, to the founders of your competitors, for example, like you're in the same mm-hmm. space, there are shared experiences you could have. Um, but yeah, I think as you mentioned, burnout is something that is incredibly difficult as a founder because it can happen so very easily without you realizing it. Um, no. And also that comes back to the question you had about the team and having a strong supporting team around you can make such a huge difference as well. So yeah, I've got a question for you, Aaron. Um, scalability wise, right? Yeah. So you take your company from zero to one, you get onto the wards, you physically go and speak to family, friends, get them to use it, get feedback. How do you take it from then one upwards? Because I imagine it's a very different um, approach from zero to one and one upwards. Tell us a little bit about scaling up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's also an area that as a medic, like I I did not have experience with Um, anything to do with like marketing and and organic reach. Like that is not something I knew very much about Uh, SEO did not know what that meant. Mm. Um, You know, these are all things that are unique professions in their own for a good reason. Um, And some like once you've like, you can, you know, you can put out a product and people can actually use it. But if people don't know about it, they're not going to use it. Um, And sometimes that's as simple as, you know, putting a message out in a newsletter or, you know, coming onto a podcast or, you know, speaking or, you know, establishing an online presence. Um, it's all these little things about getting yourself out there, speaking at conferences, um, speaking, you know, to, to, to the clinicians who are going to use your product, sharing ideas, um, speaking about it. Um, what we did, for example, was we partnered with a PR agency um, and we gave them some equity as well. And we said, hey, can you help us spread the word about what we want to do? And I think the really great thing about med tech and about changing people's lives is you can get in like, you know, it's a bit easier to get into the news because you're making a difference. So, you know, for example, um, we went on to BBC Breakfast, we went to Sky News, we went out into these like media outlets and said, hey, we are trying to make a difference. You know, Mm. can you help us spread the word? and, and so we, we kind of started that way, trying to get ourselves out into the public more so people knew about us. Um, I mean, even now, you know, we talk about the power of TikTok um, and the yeah. power of organic reach. Like these are incredibly powerful tools that you may overlook because you think, well, it's just social media. But actually, when you are trying to build a product for consumers, that is how you reach them. Um, you don't mm. reach them through scientific peer-reviewed journals because no one's going to read that um you reach them through yeah exactly you reach them through facebook through tiktok through instagram you reach them through the media like you need it like obviously if we were building an app for mm, the government to use 
TikTok is not really going to be the way you go about it. But I mean, so it's always, I mean, it's thinking about who, who you're trying to reach and what the most effective mm. routes are for getting there. Um, so for, you know, our, our consumers, we, we try to do it organically, but then when you, we try to like reach clinicians and we try to reach, uh, people who have, um, you know, managerial experience in the NHS, those are different perspective. We approach those a bit differently. So we go to yeah. conferences and we, we leverage our connections within the NHS. Um, so it's about, you know, trying to change your approach for who you're trying to, yeah. to reach. No. Definitely. I, I like the way you're explaining things and kind of saying how it kind of worked out for you guys and what you did, because mm -hmm. I feel there are lots of medical students that are probably going through the same things. Let's just kind of put the junior doctors aside because they've graduated. They have a bit more experience per se, but as medical students that, have, that do have great ideas that are very passionate, these are the obstacles you've just explained and how you went about it in a very frank and honest way. To kind of bring the episode to an end and to kind of tie it all up, what advice would you give to that individual who is a third year, fourth year medic that does have an idea, that probably has a co-founder? You know, what advice would you give to them that wants to embark on this journey? It's a very good question. I would just say to go for it. Um, to, I mean, if you have an idea. If you have, an, yeah, if you have an idea that you think will change the way that we do things, that would change healthcare, to go for it, to 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 really put some effort into it, to reach out to people in a similar space and make those connections and speak to your, you know, speak to people. LinkedIn is such a powerful tool to mm -hmm. to reach out to others, um, get some advice, and really start. You know, you just need to dive into it. Um, I, I think it's easy to have, or not easy. It's, it's a bit easier to have an idea, but it's harder to actually do something about it. Yeah. Um, so you, I think we just needed to take that first step. We had an idea and we need to see, needed to see if it was feasible. Um, and once you start down that pathway, things kind of start falling into place. So you have an idea, you look, is it feasible? And from there, you think about, you know, who wants to use it and you kind of start going down that pathway. But if you never taken that first step because you are afraid of leaving clinical training, if you are afraid of uh, going down a different pathway, it, you know, mindset never would have been born. Um, so, you know, beyond going for it, I think my biggest piece of advice is also just to reach out to others within a similar space. Yeah reach out to, to other medics who have done a similar thing because I, I like, I know personally, I absolutely love sharing my experiences. I love hearing from other people, speaking to others who are thinking of a similar thing, because I think the more of us that try to change the, you know, the NHS, the more of us that try to bring about innovation, the more is going to change. Um, so I, I love sharing my experiences. I love speaking to other people who are thinking about starting down that journey. Um, you know, resources like peer are incredibly useful for people um, who want to think about it. So yeah, my two biggest pieces of advice to go for it and to connect with others within this space. No, definitely. I think those are stellar pieces of advice, if I'm honest. Aaron, I want to thank you for taking the time out. 
you know, Absolutely. sharing your journey, sharing your story. What Mindstep has done is incredible. You know, you. we want to hear you've, you've crossed the 100,000 mark very soon, <laughs> right? Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure hearing what you're building. We're, we're massive advocates and supporters. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Um, I really love sharing my story. If, yeah, if anyone who is watching this wants to reach out to me, needs some advice, um, I'm always more than happy to chat.